This evening, we will be going through one of the lost books of the New Testament. And when I say lost books of the New Testament, I don't mean perhaps the, the book of Laodicea that Paul wrote and told the Colossians and the Laodiceans to share their letters. I don't mean some 4th century Gnostic book like the Gospel of Thomas or something like that. I mean the Epistle of Third John. If you turn there in your Bibles with me, we'll be going through Third John. Now I say one of the lost books of the New Testament because Third John doesn't seem to get near as much press as maybe some of the other epistles or uh, gospels do. If you were to be talking about the book of Romans, you'd be able to be somewhat conversant in some of the writings of Paul in that letter. Or maybe the same thing with Ephesians, or the book of James, the book of Revelation, some of the gospels. But Third John is a book that is not all that familiar to many of us. Many of us, when we think about Third John, we may have trouble even articulating what the book itself is about, which is why we're going to be going through it this evening. Now, Third John is written by the Apostle John, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation, and he writes three epistles. First John, he writes to a group of regional churches. Second John, he writes to one particular church. And then Third John, he writes to one particular man. As you're looking at Third John in front of you, you'll notice that it's a very small book. It's made up of 219 words. It could fit into a couple of tweets. But the fact that it is small does not mean it's insignificant. It does not mean that it's not worth our time. But maybe one of the reasons why Third John doesn't get uh, as much publicity as maybe it should is, is as you read through it, you're going to notice that Jesus is not mentioned that Christ isn't mentioned, that the gospel is not mentioned. But I assure you, Jesus is in this book. And as I read it, children, I want you to try and count with your hands. Every time you hear the word truth, raise up one hand and see how many times the Apostle John uses that word. So with that, please turn your attention to the reading of God's holy and inspired word, Third John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, yeah, keep your hands up, guys. Count them out with me. Fingers, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, and indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking and the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may, that we may be fellow workers of the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. 
Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. So John uses the word truth how many times, kids? Seven times. It's a very important concept in this epistle. Let us go to the Lord as we anticipate the preaching of his word. Lord, we pray that your blessing would be upon um, this sermon tonight. Lord, we pray that you would sustain my voice, that you would use uh, this jar of clay to feed your people. Lord, we pray all this in your son's name. Well, kids, you counted out that there are uh, seven uses of the word truth. I want to ask you something. When you're playing with your siblings, or maybe you're trying to play by yourself, and your siblings come up to you and they start doing the exact same thing that you do, or they start saying the exact same thing that you say, you get frustrated, don't you? You get annoyed. And it's not just children who do this. We as adults are the same thing. But children, you'll go to your parents and you'll say, Mom, Dad, he's mimicking me. And what's the response that parents often give? Imitation is the best form of flattery. Imitation is the best form of flattery. And they'll say, well, your sibling's just mimicking you uh, because they want to be like you. And indeed, that is the idea behind what John is saying when he says, imitate that which is good. He is not saying that you're just to be some cheap knockoff, but he is saying that you are to be the real deal. You are to act in a way that the truth acts. You are to act in a way that even the Apostle John acts, even Demetrius acts, and even as Gaius acts. Well, this book has three different people in it. If you count John, uh, maybe that's four, then if you count all of the people that John sends, well, that's another number, then you add the Holy Spirit, well, okay. There's a lot of people involved in this book, but there are three main characters here. There is Gaius, who the letter is addressed to. There is Diotrephes, who we read is a problem in the church. And then there is Gaius, or rather uh, Demetrius, who is a good example of the truth. And what John is saying to Gaius and what John is saying to you and I today is that we must imitate that which is good. We must imitate that which is good. And we imitate that which is good by testifying to the truth. And we do this by first walking in the truth, by supporting those who teach the truth, by avoiding those who suppress the truth, and by being imitators of the truth. So first, you must walk in truth. And we see this in verses 1 through 4. We see John. Now, we're not told that it's John, but there's good reason for us to think that he is, and we'll, we'll get to that in time. But John identifies himself as simply the elder, and he's saying, to the beloved Gaius. This is who the letter is written to. It says, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So he uses this term, love or beloved, twice in reference to Gaius. And so it's not as if John is saying, to the beloved Gaius, whom I truly do love. Like, I really, really love you, Gaius. What he's saying is, is to the beloved Gaius, whom he does have a true affection for, but also whom he loves in the truth. So what John is saying is that he and Gaius, 
And all those who are adopted into the family of God are adopted into this truth. And so they have this mutual love for one another because both men have been redeemed by the Lord. And as such, they shared a special love for one another as family members of Christ. And this is something that I hope you, as Spring is Reformed, can say about one another. That you can say that you love one another in the truth. You may not like one another, but I hope that you can say you love one another. And then John goes on in verse 2, addressing Gaius once again as a beloved, and he says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. And remember the context of this book, that John is writing to Gaius. We've read a bit about Diotrephes. We'll spend more time on him momentarily. But apparently, Diotrephes, this man, had been a real thorn in the side of this church, particularly of Gaius. And John had sent a letter to this congregation before, but Diotrephes has resisted. He took the letter, he shredded the letter, he got rid of it somehow. So John then writes this directly to Gaius. And what we can see is that Gaius is one who is walking in the truth, who is standing for the truth, who is battling this man Diotrephes, who is seeking to harm the church in one way or another. Now, if you were to YouTube, 3 John, verse 2, and you were to look up all the videos that are on this particular passage, you would find video after video after video uh, promoting the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. And they like to use this passage, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be, good in health, may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. And so what they'll say are things like, you know, as, as you give to this ministry, or as you, yada, yada, you know how the line goes, then you will be in good health. And that is not what John is saying. Rather, what John is saying is he's saying to Gaius, I know that you've been quite under uh, a lot of stress. Um, you, he may use the term uh, burnout. That may be anachronistic to use today. But that may be what John is thinking, as this man, Gaius, has been dealing with this diatrophies. And you know what it's like when things are difficult in the church, when there are spiritual challenges or interpersonal tension, that oftentimes you cannot sleep, oftentimes it's all that you can think about. I mean, we, we sang in uh, one of the Psalms this morning that our bones get dry when we think about our sin. And the same is true when we think about sin in the church. You know, we are what's called a psychosomatic unity. That is, we are body and we are soul. And the two affect one another. And you can think maybe in your own personal experience where things have been challenging, or maybe a loved one has walked away from the Lord, or you're dealing with some particular issue and you can't sleep. Or you, you start to get sick because you've been working so hard. And what John is saying is he's saying that, Gaius, as you have been faithful, as it goes well with your soul, I pray that you may be in good health. And he goes on in verse 3. He says, For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. Remember, John had written a letter to this church. The letter had not been received. So John sends these men to the church, and uh, Gaius receives these men. And then these men come back and they give a good testimony about Gaius. 
And John says, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. And we hear that term, your truth. And if you're like me, you prickle a little bit. Because we live in a postmodern society, don't we? Where everybody talks about, hey, live your truth, man. You do what you want to do. You believe what you want to believe. Just be true to yourself. And again, this is not what, what John is saying. But he is saying that he came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. Because Gaius is united to Christ. Gaius is adopted into the family of God. Gaius is brought into the truth. And he is so connected to Jesus that Jesus' truth, the objective truth, is his truth. And the same can be true for you as well. For those who are united to Christ, we can say that this is your truth because you belong to Christ who is truth himself. And he goes on to say that it's a good thing that uh, you are walking in the truth. What does it mean to walk in the truth? This is a term that we use often. It's kind of a, a Christianese slang. It's something that we say a lot, but maybe do we think about what it means? Well, conveniently enough, John tells us what it is in his second epistle. So if you flip the page over and you look at 2 John verses 4 through 5, this is what John says it means to walk in the truth. He says, I rejoice greatly to find some of, you, some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, dear lady is a term to refer to this church, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. So what it means to walk in the truth is to love one another. is to love the Father, the Son, the Spirit, to love His church, to love His people, to love each other. And Boyce, when he talks about what this means, he says, it is only as one walks according to the doctrines of the Word, which have been taught that truly righteous acts become possible. So when he's talking about righteous acts, walking in the truth, we're not talking about merited righteousness. This is something that we only receive through Jesus Christ that is imputed to us, but rather what we're talking about here is demonstrated righteousness. That as you are in the truth, you must walk in the truth and display the change that the Lord has brought within you. And it gives the Apostle John great joy to hear that Gaius is doing this. And he goes on in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Uh, earlier this afternoon, the question was asked, how do you protect yourself from burnout? I think it's a good question. It's one that I've thought about for, for a few minutes. And even as I'm contemplating this uh, verse here, one of the ways that you can help your pastors, your elders, from being burnt out, is to walk in the truth, is to be holy, is to love Jesus, is to love one another. There are other things, of course, that, that come with protecting from uh, the strain of ministry. John uses this term, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You want to bring joy to your elders, to those that the Lord has placed over your soul. Walk in the truth. Walk in holiness. Love one another. Love one another. You must walk in the truth. 
but you also must support those who teach the truth. And we see this in verses 5 through 8. Again, John uses this term, beloved. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers of the truth. So again, you see that John is sending out these men, these missionaries, to go preach the truth, to preach the gospel, to raise up men and women who are in Christ, to plant churches, to support churches. And John says to Gaius, it is a faithful thing you do when you support these men, when you express hospitality to these men, strangers as they are. Gaius didn't know who these people were. Gaius didn't have the foggiest clue, and yet he still offered hospitality to them. You know, this is something that, that we've experienced even this we're over at uh, Josh and Patty's house. Never really met them before. But they invited us into their home. They, they fed us. And then they left. <laughs> they went on vacation and they trusted us with their house. And they'd expressed hospitality to us. And, and, and many of you have, have done the same thing. You've brought us into your homes. Or you've spent time with us. You've, you've supported us. And, and we thank you for that. And I would say that, that what you're doing here is, is pleasing the Lord. I mean, it's bringing the elders great joy. It's bringing the Lord great joy. But this is what we are called to do, isn't it? We're supposed to express hospitality to those who uh, teach the truth. We're supposed to support those who teach the truth. And if you read through uh, this section here, in verse 7, I I mentioned earlier that the name Jesus, uh, the gospel, uh, those kinds of things, they're not mentioned. But look at verse 7. For they have gone out, that are these men who are preaching the truth, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. They've gone out for the sake of the name. Now, some of your translations, mine included, the name is not capitalized, but this is a personal pronoun, and, and it ought to be capitalized. For the name is talking about none other than Jesus. This is not the only time that that term, the name, is used to refer to our Christ. Acts chapter 5, we read part of it this morning, but as that passage goes on, we read about James and John and some of the other apostles preaching and teaching the gospel. And we read that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they came and they arrested these men, the apostles. They weren't sure what to do with them, but ultimately uh, Gamaliel, one of the, the leaders, said, hey, we don't know if these men are from God. Let's hedge our bets here, and let's just let them go. If they're from God, um, okay, good. Uh, if they're not, then they'll expose themselves eventually. Maybe that's the, the line of thinking that he has. So what they do is they, they go and they beat the apostles anyways, and then they send them out. And this is what the apostles say. In Acts chapter 5, verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name For the name that is above all names, the name that every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, the name is Jesus. And this is what these men who are teaching the truth are doing. They are preaching the name. They are preaching the gospel. And verse 8 says, Therefore we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. During one of my internships, I was talking with a member of the church, 
And she was lamenting the fact that she just didn't have time to be able to serve the church. She didn't have time to be able to do evangelism. Her and her husband were talking about all of the uh, life circumstances that the Lord had given them, the busyness they had at work, the, the um, time it took to raise their children. And so they just didn't have time to engage in evangelism and other such things. And that may be true. And that may be true for many of you here where the Lord has given you different responsibilities. But what the Lord tells us here is that we who support those who teach the truth are also fellow workers for the truth. So while you may not have time to go on a short-term mission trip, or you may not have time to do evangelism like you may want to, there may be legitimate providential reasons why you can't. The Lord is still saying that as you support those who preach the truth, you are fellow workers of the truth. And there are many ways that you can support those who preach and teach the truth. And of course, what John is getting at and he's commending Gaius for is expressing hospitality. But there are many others, uh, other ways as well. Uh, we won't spend time to talk about all of them, but let me just give you uh, a one, other than practicing hospitality. One way that you can support those who preach is being there when the truth is preached. It is a great encouragement for not only pastors and elders, preachers and teachers, but for uh, other members of the congregation as you look around and you see people who are hungry for the word and, it, and you support those who preach the truth by then, of course, walking in the truth. And indeed, this is what the Lord is calling us to do. So we must walk in the truth, support those who teach the truth, and then third, avoid those who suppress the truth. We see this in verses 9 through 10, where John has been calling Gaius beloved. We've been seeing many positive things being spoken about, and then the tone shifts. And you can hear it. I have written something to the church. But Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. Not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to, and he puts them out of the church. What we read about is John has written a letter. Diotrephes has rejected the letter. John has sent men to this church, and Diotrephes has kicked them out. And he's kicked out anybody who tries to support them. But maybe that's why John is writing to Gaius. Maybe Gaius has been kicked out of this church by this man, Diotrephes, and John is writing to encourage him. He's saying, I've also written something to Diotrephes. And he goes on and he talks about how Diotrephes puts himself first. And he does this in a number of ways. One of the first ways he does this is he rejects the apostles' authority. Now notice how John talks about this. He doesn't say that Diotrephes has rejected my authority. It's not as if John is saying it's my word against his word. What he's saying is he has rejected our authority the apostolic authority that was placed upon them by Jesus Christ himself. And so by a Diotrephes rejecting the authority of the apostles, Diotrephes is rejecting the authority of Christ himself. He also puts himself first by talking wicked nonsense against us, that is, against the apostles. And the question was asked about gossip. But gossip is wicked nonsense. This is what John calls it. This is what Diotrephes has done. 
He's speaking wicked nonsense against these men. He's trying to turn those who are part of this church against the apostles and against Jesus. Diotrephes does not welcome the brothers. He does not welcome those who preach and teach the truth. And John says, just imagine Diotrephes reading this. John, uh, John says, I will deal with him when I... He's laying the hammer down. In Mark 10, verses 42 through 45, a couple of Jesus' apostles come to Jesus. Rather, it's Mark 10 uh, earlier, but anyways. A couple of apostles come to Jesus and they say to Jesus, we want to be at your right hand and at your left hand in your glory. And Jesus asks, do you, do you really know what you're asking? Do you understand the suffering that I'm going through? I'm going to go through? Do you understand... Can you participate in the baptism with which I will be uh, baptized and the fire in which I will have to walk through? And these two disciples ignorantly say, yes, yes we can. And then later on, the other ten, they hear about what these two have done and they begin to argue amongst themselves. They begin to fight. Wait, 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 wait. You asked Jesus if you could be in his right hand, I was going to do that. I'm the best disciple. No, no, no. I'm the best disciple. And they begin to fight and argue against themselves on who is the best disciple. And Jesus, in Mark 10, 42 through 45, says this. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, Do you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them? But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And one of those two apostles that had gone to Jesus and asked to be at his right hand and his left hand was the Apostle John. You can't help but think that as John is looking at Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, John is thinking about his own past sins and his own past failures, and he sees the dangerous road that Diotrephes is on. For leaders are not to lord it over those who are in their charge, but they are to be servants of all, just as Jesus was a servant who came not to be served, but to serve. And this is what we're told in First Peter, that the elders of the church are to be servants. First Peter 5, 1-3, Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Well, Diotrephes was not being an example to the flock. He was domineering over those in his charge. He was speaking wicked nonsense, he was putting those who taught the truth out of the church. The text says he was putting himself first. He puts himself first. Now the Greek word, we're not going to get into it, but basically it's where we get this idea of prototype. You know, a prototype is, is the first of many things to come. And the only other time that this word is used in the New Testament is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. If you know the book of Colossians, you know that Paul is talking about the preeminence of Christ and that Jesus is preeminent. 
And the same word for preeminent is here in 3 John, but it's rendered puts himself first. So depending on your translation, it could say Diotrephes, who likes to be preeminent. That not only is Diotrephes rejecting the apostles, rejecting Jesus, but he is making himself above Jesus. He likes to put himself first. He likes to have his way. He likes his opinions to be heard and to be followed. And as you hear this, you may be thinking about people that you You may be thinking about maybe even the, the podcast that came out last summer, Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which catalogued the uh, decline of Mark Driscoll. And you may be thinking about maybe some in our own denomination. You may be thinking about some in this congregation. But as you keep scoping down, go one more step and examine your own heart. Do you like to be preeminent? Are you one who likes to put yourself first? Are you one who rejects the authority of the apostles, who rejects the authority of the scriptures, who speaks wicked nonsense against one another, against Christ's church? I pray that you are not. I pray that you are not. But we must avoid those suppress the truth. We must not suppress the truth ourselves. Finally, we must be imitators of the truth. We see this in verses 11 and 12. He switches uh, again. He's talking to Gaius. He refers to him again as beloved. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone, and from the truth itself, we also add our testimony. And you know that our testimony is true. John says, imitate not evil, but imitate good. Here is Diotrephes, an example of evil, an example of something and someone not to imitate. And then we're introduced to this man, Demetrius. Imitate that which is good. And here Demetrius is. Here Demetrius is introduced. And everyone, everyone likes Demetrius. We read in verse 12 that Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. Everyone who knows Demetrius knows that he walks in the truth. Everyone who knows Demetrius knows that he loves Jesus. Everyone who knows Demetrius knows that Demetrius loves them. And perhaps you know someone like that where you're talking with people and this person's name comes up and you think, oh, man, that guy, I know that he loves the church. Or, oh, she is so encouraging. And everybody speaks of a good testimony about you, about this person. And that's what we are to be. We are to imitate that which is good. You know, this idea of imitation, it's not uh, exclusive to Third John. It pops up a number of times. Ephesians 5 uh, verse 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. 1 Corinthians 4.16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 1 Thess- Thessalonians 1.6, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. And there's more. It goes on and on. That we are to be imitators of those who love Jesus. We are to be like them. We are to be like them. 
And Demetrius receives a good testimony from everybody. He receives a good testimony from the truth itself. That is, he walks consistently in the word. And then we see at the end of verse 12, and this is where we get John kind of signing his name to this epistle, where he says, We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. This is how John ends his gospel, almost verbatim, in John 21, 24. He says, This is the disciple who was bearing witness about these things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So John is writing uh, his little uh, signature here on this book. We must be imitators of the truth. We must look to those who love Jesus, and we must follow in their footsteps. In Hebrews 13, 7, in contrast to this man Diotrephes, Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider their outcome and their way of life and imitate their faith. Imitate the godly character that you see. Well, John ends his epistle saying he has much more that he would like to write to Gaius about, but he'd rather not write with pen and ink. He wants to be face to face. He says, peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. Greet the friends each by name. And remember, we walk in the truth by loving one another. So we imitate that which is good. We imitate that which is good by testifying to the truth. And we do this again by walking in the truth, supporting those who teach the truth, avoiding those who suppress the truth, and being imitators of the truth. Lord, we thank you that you are truth itself. We thank you that we have your truth in the scriptures. Lord, we thank you that you have given us this word as an encouragement to support those who preach the truth. Lord, that you've called us to imitate that which is good and avoid that which is evil, to walk in the truth. Lord, we thank you that you have enabled us even uh, through the Holy Spirit indwelling in us to be able to walk in the truth. We pray this in your son's name.